Hello, and thank you for listening to episode 32 of the I Brew My Own Coffee podcast, the podcast for people who care about coffee. Yeah. My name is Brian Bikey. I am your host, and joining me as always, my co-host, the man who likes to brew, and he likes to home roast, he is Brian <laughs> Sheely. Yeah, uh, I'm not sure what you're talking about, but I do like to brew, and I do like to home roast. Hey, I I heard that Able Brewing made a shirt exactly for your handle. I know, right? It's, uh, it's like it was meant to be, so... I'm, uh, yeah, I guess I'd made the big plunge and changed some stuff around on Instagram, so I guess that's the thing to talk about. Why not? I actually, I think there's something better to talk about. Yeah, there is. So, uh, joining us today, a very special guest we have with us. So, uh, we have Wilfred Lamastus joining us on the podcast. He is a fourth-generation coffee producer from the notable Alita Estate in Elboro Farms. Um, for nearly a decade, Alita Estate has been consistently producing uh, some of the highest rated and most recognizable coffees from Panama. You've probably seen them at numerous roasters uh, for years now. Um, from the work the Lamastis family has done at Lita Estate, they've earned top 10 finishes in a, a numerous categories, or at least more than one category in the Best of Panama uh, for the Specialty Coffee Association of Panama um, since 2007. So going on nearly 10 years now. So Wilford, Thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Welcome. You are you are our first uh, coffee producer and also first international guest. So this is super oh, exciting. <laughs> good feels good to be the first one. Yeah, right. we're 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 super happy to have you. I love the podcast, so I'm happy to be here. <laughs> well, thank you. We we don't we do very little for specialty coffee. I think we we just blab. It's, it's easy to chit chat about it, but uh, you. You guys are the ones doing the legwork, so it's definitely... Yeah, but actually, um, you guys give some really cool showing, both of you, on Instagram, which is getting very famous for the coffee world. And people, I see that, that there are several producers that are not so, so much into social media, and here they see the, the pictures of their coffees. For example, today I was with Carlos Aguilera, for the owner of Carmen State, mm. And we were watching both of your Instagrams, <laughs> and you guys have the um, one of the the Carmen State geishas yeah. Uh, yeah. posted on, and he was so happy to see that. So, <laughs> oh man! So, so it brings an impact to, to the to the growers. That's great. I, I I saw. I was looking at your Facebook, and I saw. Uh, I was looking at some pictures, and you with uh, was it Graciano Cruz also? Yeah, yeah. Graciano is a great a great guy. Do you guys He's just hang very... out and hang out and just drink each other's geisha and just talk <laughs> about how awesome it is? Like we do? Yeah, well, it happens. It happens. Um, <laughs> we we do have a very much of exchange of coffees during the Best of Panama time. Um, so I get to drink all of the other growers and they, they, they do the same with ours. Uh, but normally it's not the norm because yeah. everybody's getting their coffee ready to to be sent out to, for uh, an export. Sure. So it's, mo- it's more on the, on the Best of Panama times, more or less. Sure. If you don't mind me putting you on the spot, I'll ask you first. Uh, what What have you been uh, brewing? What's been What have you been drinking? Well, actually, I've been brewing two coffees. Uh, one early in the morning, another one in the mid morning. So the Alida Typica washed process uh, is the one that I've been having all my mornings, and the one that I'm having a little later is the Alida Natural Catuai. So I'm not having no geishas right now. Oh, that's that's unlike Brian and I. We are. <laughs> Brian, what are, you, what are you currently drinking? It's been an interesting time for coffees from Ecuador. I think the, uh, the last couple that I've gotten were from the same farmer. Um, it's, this one actually is the third version of uh, the Ecuador uh, Juan Pena from... Uh, Quills Coffee, actually. Uh, from, so Lo- from Louisville, Kentucky. Lo- Louisville. So this is actually the uh, La Papaya. Uh, it It's a Tipica, also wash Tipica, from Ecuador. And it's just, I'm actually drinking it right now um, on the V60. It's delicious. I'm, I'm enjoying it. How about you? I recently got in a uh, 
a Lamastus coffee from Crema Coffee in Nashville. And yeah, you were doing your research, right? Yeah, and Wilford, you and I, you and I were talking about this uh, even just a couple of weeks ago too, just about presentation of coffee and and whatnot too. So yeah. Crema Coffee out of Nashville. It's been a while since I visited them, but uh, they have an, the El Burro uh, washed geisha, and I had not had a coffee from the El Burro. Uh, estate. So I was excited to get something like that in. And Brian, uh, well, both of you would, will, might be familiar with it, but um, Brian, at least, we, we both have had recently had Verve's um, green tip, the Alita washed geisha. And we both liked that a whole lot. Mm-hmm. It's a very special coffee. And yeah, I had a really hard time choosing between that and one other coffee as my favorite coffee of 2015. So that was definitely on the top of my list. Right. Which one was the other one? The Mario Carnival. Um, oh yeah! Well, oh my God, that's um, tough competition. I know. Yeah. I understand what. People, yeah, they on the best of Panama, they got the first place. Well, where if you are talking about the wash, they got the second place. Yeah. And we got we got the fourth place. So mm-hmm. it's safe to say that theirs can be better. Well, I I enjoyed I enjoyed the both of them fairly equally. So it was really hard to to pick a favorite. Is but. it is very difficult because they. You know, comparing, they're actually pretty different uh, yeah. from each oh, yeah. other. In, in, in yeah, 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 they are very, very different. Uh, but I, I have uh, last year the 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 Verve the the green tip Alita washed was it was my number one, and I'm I'm pretty sure I've still yet to make my list. I think the longer I don't do it, the more I just go back and forth. But I'm fairly certain that it is um, the Alita the for two years in a row now. So uh, we've it's already been introduced uh what the topic of of tonight's going to be but uh we we wanted to have wilford on just kind of get uh somebody on the ground uh, a different viewpoint than obviously what brian and i share and then also kind of a different viewpoint than just whatever we can read not that what roasters or anything like that have on their site isn't factual isn't true but uh at least, some, you know, some of my curiosity around, like, what is what is so special about geisha, or you know, what makes uh, the the terrar, the land around a farm, so special? So, uh, we were lucky enough to have Wilford jump on us, and he's gonna he's gonna jump on with us, and he's gonna talk about some of that uh, with us. So, yeah, just kind of laying out, uh, starting the episode, uh, we we'll, we like to when we have a guest on, we like to get to the background. So, um, I don't want to lay. Uh, too much on it once so let's just talk about the Lamastis family uh, first you know some of the history there okay uh, I'm gonna I don't want people to lose me there's two families involved in this uh, coffee in this coffee traditional families so there's two families my father's father so my grandfather family Lamastus his name is Thatcher Lamastus he still in, uh, works in the farm and there's my uh, grandmother's, the mother of my father, uh, is Emma Boutte. So the, she is also from a generation of coffee growers. The thing is that the Lamastos family is more uh, united. So we all, or all are in the same line. So that's why the Lamastos name is the one that goes out. And also it's the first name of my father, who is a little bit known uh, on the coffee world. But with the family, the Boutet family, that is originally from uh, France, they came in Panama to work on the Panama Canal, which was originally uh, started be- being built by the French. But they did, they failed on the, on the building of the Panama Canal and they sold it to the United States. At that time, that was about... 1850, uh, my great-great-grandfather was one of the few guys that instead of going back home to France, they went and looked for a place to live in Panama. So they found these lands on the highlands of Panama called Boquete. And that's how they, uh, they were the first people to colonize the zone. It was a group of French people and other workers in the canal. So this guy started planting coffee at the moment. So the coffee started there with him. This guy is, from him, I will be a fifth generation coffee grower, but we don't count him because on the road, there's some, he he had 11 kids. So the 11 kids inherit land. Then they were not so close to each other. One of the, my great grandfather, a very uh, 
well-known guy in the town, very respectable guy. I got to meet him uh, when I was a kid. He owned uh, coffee farms also, but he was more into politicians. So he also inher inherited uh, coffee land, and they were not so much into the coffee business. They were not selling coffee. They were it was their main their main business. So he also had a bunch of kids. They all inherited land, and one of the lands that I'm talking about is El Burro. El Burro was owned by my great uncle, so my grandmother's brother. And my father and one of his brothers, Patrick, they decided to buy the farm from his uncle. That was on the early 1990s. So why they bought this land? Because this land is in a very, very remote place that doesn't have a lot of uh, value except for growing coffee. There's no roads, paved roads to go there. There's no electricity there. But it's also under the skirts of the Baru volcano, which is the same uh, zone that the majority of the famous farm, farms from Panama are from. So that's the story of El Burro. Next to El Burro, there's a farm called Las Brujas. Las Brujas is Cotowas, one of the Cotowas states farm. It was also from my, uh, from my family, but it was sold through a family member to Ricardo Coiner, the owner of Cotowa Coffee. The other part of that land is La Mula. La Mula is a some people know it. It's a getting to be famous geisha uh, produced by Willem Boot. Uh, they are among the. They have two actually among the finalists of the Good Food Awards, and that's also next to our farm. So La Mula is the mule. El Burro is the donkey. So that's those names were uh, pun intended. So <laughs> Willem also that land also was from my ancestors on the, my grandmother's side. Other lands that were owned by them are owned by the Peterson. They have the, the, some of their states that are not the famous ones for the geisha are also owned and they were part of the lands that my great-great-grandfather had. So he had a lot of coffee in the town, but he divided it from all his kids, his grandkids, his great-grandkids, and it ended up being distributed around the whole, the whole town. Now I will go to the Lamassos family, that is the more tight family. So my great-grandfather, Robert Lamastos, also working in the Panama Canal, retired and decided to stay in Panama, found that land, married a lady from the area. Her name was Elida. That's why the, the farm is called Elida. He passed away very early, and his wife worked the farm. He, she worked the farm to get her kids through the um, through school and one of those kids was my grandfather she ended up passing the farm to my grandfather and his brother but his brother also passed away very early so my grandfather was the guy on the coffee business he was on the coffee business and my father was the one that followed his steps so it's been four generations of it at one point the Elida farm was so high and so complicated to get there that there was no, not much of coffee being produced there. My family started producing onions on that farm. And we were producing coffee from a lowland farm because it was easier to get to pick the coffee and sell it and more trees, more space, cheaper production. Sure. Uh, we were not thinking about the, the specialty coffee. And until 1997, that's when we started putting more attention to it. Yeah, I would imagine the uh, specialty onion market probably doesn't do as well as the specialty coffee market. Yeah, well, that was a point on the Panamanian government. This is uh, mid-1990s. The Panamanian government was trying to do some type of um, incentivation to the, to the producers, the agricultural sector, to whomever was going to produce something special that will compete in the global world. So my father tried to do onions with his brother and they were not successful because onions in other parts of the world are cheaper to produce. Mm -hmm. And the specialty onion, I don't think that's, that exists. So there's, no, there's not going to be any flavor that will give your onion a better price than how coffee does. At that time, Mario Serracin, a Panamanian guy, 
was taking his PhD on on Kona with the University of Hawaii, and he started giving advice to the to his fellow Panamanians about how to produce specialty coffees, and that's how he started. He started in 1995, more or less, the learning of it, the young producers that started SCAP, the Specialty Coffee Association of Panama. It was uh, my father. It was Ricardo Coiner, the owner of Cotowa Coffee. It was Price Peterson, owner of Hacienda La Esmeralda, and two other guys that are not anymore in coffee business. So they started it. Mm. And they went to Costa Rica, they went to Colombia to learn. They spoke to the um, to the SCAA people. They were getting faxes about the the copying notes and and all how to follow a copying protocol. And it was so confusing to them. They were making so much mistakes, but they were so into it. I remember as a kid going there, going to the offices, and how all the things were being done. And I saw all that evolution and how it changed the world of coffee. And people started traveling to Panama, getting to cup the coffees. It was amazing. Wow. What were some of the changes that were being made, that were being rolled out to, to get to specialty-grade coffee? First, the La Mastos family headquarters, to say it like that, was on a lowland farm. And we were trying to get good beans on that lowland farm. But from that farm, we were selling coffee at a rate, that flat rate that everybody else. And it was good because it was easy to produce. And I remember all being uh, processed on big meals, on big scales, everything together, everything washed. And as a kid, I used to play on the, when the coffee has, um, it's already dried before it, the peeling process. I used to play around it, going in there, and there was no care of the bean like it is now. And the, we used to sell coffee to places called Recibideros, if you go to Boquete one day, you'll see a, a bunch of them. They still exist. You go with the truck, somebody receives the coffee, they weigh it in, they pay you uh, per pound, and it's in a cherry, it's not even processed, and a big truck from a big coffee company in Panama will buy it. For example, uh, Café Duran, which will be the equal to Folgers in Panama, hmm. and they will buy it, and that's, that was it. Then it, everything changed. I remember my father getting a copying table in his, in the house, uh, and a copying table in the farm. And then everybody was getting together and doing the samples. And they were so careful of the samples. Like nothing could touch the samples because they were trying to find that good flavors on the coffee. That was on 1997, more or less. So how did that transition occur? I mean, you said that the farm at Alita was growing onions at the time. Exactly. Elida was producing onions. It also had coffee. It has coffee since before my great-grandfather. He came in Panama in 1918 into Boquete. Before that, they, it, they had co- it had coffee. But um, at a point, my family was trying to get rid of that farm because it was not good for production. Mm-hmm. And nobody wanted to buy it because they considered it uh, too much of a remote land. But... Lerida used to be a very famous farm in Panama when it was owned by the Collins family. And Lerida started winning awards in the SCAA in Panama, continually winning awards, all the coppings. So Lerida is the next door neighbor of, of Lida. And that was the point when we realized that that altitude was so important mm-hmm. and that soil and that volcanic area under the Baru volcano that Lady had, we had it to, and we needed to, to improve it. So that's when my father started planting all the catuais. Uh, the first production was only seven bags of coffee, so it was 700 pounds. And there was even a category at that point, on the best of Panama, of non-ready coffees or non-to-sell coffee, something like that, so you had like a, for fun, just to cup your coffees to see how they're going to do in the future when you start having enough to sell. And Elida was doing really good on those competitions. And then about early 2000s, Elida started producing enough to, to get into the competitions. And since, since then, it's doing pretty good. 
how have you guys managed like actually getting to that area if you say it was sort of remote and more challenging is it well still... it's not that remote that's the thing okay there's paved roads to get there it's a very well visited for tourists mm-hmm. in any car the thing is that the farm is up high it's right. completely up high and to get pickers to pick the coffee uh, they to pick coffee in that farm they will charge you more so you are not going to pay more if the coffee was being sold at the same price. Well, you have another land where it was flat and it was easier to pick. So that's one of the reasons why it was considered to be kind of remote because it was harder to, to work on it. It was no flat, almost no flat. There's uphill all the time in the Elida farm. So when did geishas come into play? I mean, obviously, you haven't been growing geishas on Alida uh, the entire time. When when did you start to pick up on the fact that the geisha variety was such a, a special thing? In 2004, Daniel Peterson, the son of uh, Price Peterson, they recently purchased a farm where they wanted to... Because the Peterson family, they are very... Uh, they are very experimental. They like to learn everything. They like to, to, to see what, the why of everything. And they wanted to separate all the varieties that they have in that new farm they just acquired. They were also in a lower land like we were, and they were trying to get a higher land farm. So they did, and they got this farm in Jaramillo, where Mario Carnaval comes from. Mm-hmm. And copying separately, Daniel Peterson realized and cupped all the coffees, and he realized there was something so different and unique about that sample specifically. So he called his fellow um, his fellow farmers, and they cupped the coffees, and everybody was so amazed of the geisha. That was on a 2004 uh, harvest season. Everybody was so amazed about that difference of that plant, of that sample that they were cupping. And everybody was telling him, you need to get this in the coffee, in the best of Panama. You need to get this in the best of Panama. So he was not sure because he thought maybe the judges will not see it like you. They'll see it like something weird, like a tea or something. It doesn't taste, doesn't taste like coffee. And he ended up getting into the best of Panama. It obviously won. Uh, judges were amused about it. Um, at that time, I remember specialty coffee was being sold at about... A dollar twenty nine, dollar fifty uh, per pound, and the regular coffee, the I think it was about the seventies, seventy cents, something like that. And he introduced the coffee to the Peso Panama. He won. He went to the auction. Before the auction, Rick Reinhardt used to work at a roaster. He offered one dollar and fifty cents for that coffee, and Daniel Peterson told him. Let's go for one seventy, one dollar and seventy cents, and he said, "No, I'll just wait for the auction," and it ended up being sold at twenty dollars in the auction. He was a ten people group to be able to buy that coffee. Wow! A ten people group. One of the guys that was involved on that uh, ten people group was uh, George Howell, and also Rick Reinhardt was involved in that. You know Rick Reinhardt from the chief of operations of the CAA today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, in that auction, the guy that manages the software, he shut down the software because he thought there was a hacker in when somebody <laughs> bid $10. And he wasn't a hacker. He was somebody bidding $10. Wow. Everybody was so nervous. And then they called um, then they called the, the, the bidders. And they say there's a hacker. And one of the bidders said, what do you mean there's a hacker? Somebody bid $10. That's not possible. And then this guy's like, no, it was me. I want that coffee. And <laughs> Give me it was my geisha. Crazy. Yeah, that was crazy. That was the first time. And it was a big celebration in, in, in Panama. Everybody was so happy, even though they were not going to make any money out of it because it was changing the whole thing. Today, you see coffees going for $40 regularly on auctions, even in Costa Rica, El Salvador, uh, Kenya. It doesn't have to be in Panama. It doesn't have to be geishas anymore. And that's the point where it all started. I think at that moment, the highest coffee being sold was around the $3, and it was a Costa Rican coffee. And that changed the whole thing. Did you all have geisha at that time? Or was it just not separated, right? 
No, we had no geisha in our farm. There was a bunch of geishas. There was a bunch of farms that had geisha at that time in Panama. And they all took down the trees. Because on the, seven, on the 60s, on the 60s in Panama, there was a infestation. And the geisha plant is resistant to some fungus. And it was planted for that. But when the 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 coffee area took took care of the of that infestation, then people started taking it down and replanting other plants. The most common in Panama in Boquete are the Catuai or Bourbon or Maragogipe. And they were replacing Geisha for one of those more famous, easier to produce plants. Uh, types of coffees do you guys have on the farm? Uh, are they isolated? Are they together? Or and, or how has that changed over the, the years? We have uh, a lot of Catuai. That was the ones we started it with the Elida. We had some uh, Tipica from before we started with this. We were uh, trying to get rid of the Tipica because the Tipica is, has a lot of characteristics similar to the Geisha in terms of production, which means it's less production and the plant is harder to pick from. But the cup on the Tipica is too similar to the Catuai, and the Catuai is a, produces more and is easier to work with. Uh, it's more resistant also. And uh, geishas that we started planting, obviously, as soon as all the auction craziness that I just told you about happened, that's when we started planting the, the geishas, right yeah. after that. Now, real quick, just as a question, where does one just go to to get the plants that you're going to be planting? Like, to go and get geisha to plant? Where where did that come from? Okay, so it started it when um, the Peterson family had it because the family, the Serracin family, Don Pachi Serracin, there's a famous coffee farm called Don Pachi. Mm-hmm. Don Pachi Serracin was the guy that brought the first seeds of geisha to Panama. So he planted in a bunch of farms because he was hired. He was working some, with some government's office when he was younger, trying to get rid of those fungus. So he was telling people, you need to plant this. He took the, he had the geisha from Costa Rica for the same reasons. Um, Costa Rica was getting rid of them because of the same reasons Panama was getting rid of them. This is in about the 60s, 70s. He brought them from Costa Rica in his pockets, like it was pocket change, because it's illegal to to have, uh, it's illegal to have from producing countries to other producing countries, green green beans. That's illegal. You sure. cannot do that. It's easy to get green beans to the United States. You're not going to get them in trouble now, are you? Uh, no, no, no. Okay, <laughs> obviously not. That's a known story. Um, but to get to get um, to get green beans into Colombia or Costa Rica or vice versa, it's very, very complicated because they might bring some um, some fungus with it and it can affect your country's production. So he brought, he, he got them to, into Panama, the geisha seeds, and he started planting in the farms. But few farms still had it. And one of the farms that he still had it was his. So people started buying seeds from those farms that had it. So my family uh, bought it from um, the Petersons and they planted on their farm or the Serracins. You can get geishas, geisha plants. It doesn't matter where they grow. If it's not, it's not a good geisha, if it's pure geisha, but it's not a good cup because it's growing in a lowland, you can still get it. You can still buy it and plant it on a very high elevation farm and it will give you a good cup. So everybody was buying geisha seeds from this from from the same source. So on the Lamassus family farms, uh, what's kind of the breakdown of the different varieties of trees that you guys have? Like how many geishas do you have? How many katuais? Uh, how many tipicas do you guys usually have on your farms? We have eighty percent of Elida's of Elida's uh, state's uh, production is katuai. Eighty percent of it. So the rest 20% is divided half, 10 and 10, on Tipica and um, Geisha. But Geisha is being planted in more sectors. Uh, so there's 10 hectares. Five of them are starting to produce. 
maybe not this year, maybe next year, and other five we just planted coffee in it, it's in the 2050 above sea level, 2050 meters above sea level. So we are hoping that it grows there because if it do, if it does, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a really good cup. But whenever it goes in Panama above the 2000s, two, it's it's a little hard to grow coffee there. So we can say we have 10% of our production in the Lida State Farm on Geisha, but we are hoping to have about 25% in about four years. And later on, we will be trying to replace more parts of the farm with Geisha because we can get more money out of it. Um, on the El Burro, it's more of 50-50. But El Burro was a farm that has less hectares producing coffee. Only about eight hectares are producing coffees in uh, El Burro versus 35 on Elida State. And both, and, and both farms are more or less the same size. El Burro suffered some several years ago, not several years ago, about eight years ago, it suffered um, from a fungus called Ojo de Gallo, which means a rooster's eye. And it got affected by it, so we took the the opportunity to replant it with more geisha, and there's still, still a lot of work to do on that farm. What's the elevation of your farms? El Burro goes from 1650s, uh, so it's 1,650 meters above sea level, up to 1850s. Hmm. And Elida goes from 1600s up to 2000s, which is what we're trying to plant now. We have coffee at the 1950s now, uh, which is the same that you guys have from birth. They have the first option to pick up the better lot on the geishas. Sure. Then the rest. Yeah, it's a deal we have with them. So on either the Alito Farms or El Burro, um, if there was any spe- specific place on the farm that that you're paying attention to or you've noticed to produce coffees that have, I don't know, shown extra character or... Okay, that's a good question. So there's um, there's a, a really interesting lot we call aguacate. Aguacate means avocado. Uh, we call it aguacate. Um, that lot is one of the highest lots. Uh, maybe it's also because of the shades it receives uh, from other trees. And that's a lot that always stands out. And normally in our farm, we have both bronze tip geisha and green tip geisha. And the green tip geisha is a better cup than the bronze one. It doesn't mean that it's like that everywhere. It is that is in our farm. Some farms is the opposite. And the bronze tip geisha from the aguacate lot might be better than a green tip from a lower or a different lot. So that lot is very specific. We've noticed that. Uh, altitude is the main thing. So the, one that's, the ones that are higher will be the better ones. But from cup, just right from the lot, it might also have some other soils and some how the wind comes in because that farm is very, uh, it's not plain. So there's a, a bunch of other trees and how the shades protect the plant. All those stuff can, um, can affect it. Also the humidity. The drier areas will be better on a cup than the more humid areas of a geisha. So in the more humid area of the farm, even though it's higher, the cup will not be as good as it will be in the drier areas of the farm. Sometimes somebody will message us and they'll ask us, you know, what the differences in processing mean. But let, I'll just ask you at the source. So, so what do you do on your farm in regards to processing and what does it look like, be it from washed or natural or honey processing? And if you don't mind, kind of break down those and kind of explain those processes. Okay, so it's all about the drying. The naturals is picked from the sherry straight to, the, to, to any drying method. Uh, so as soon as, as soon as the coffee is picked, it gets dried right away with the sherry, the whole thing, nothing's touched. 
it gets right to about 10 days. And when the coffee is dry, then you peel it up. Um, the honey will be depulp, but will not be washed. So when the sherry or the pulp is removed from the, from the bean, it leaves a sticky mucilage, which is what we call the honey. So this honey is leave on the, on the bean and it's dried up with the sun, under the sun or on the drying bed or on the drying machines. So when it's dried up, it sticks to the, to the bean, giving it a bit of a honey taste, honey aftertaste, it may be said. And the wash is depulp and also is washed uh, from, removed the, the mucilage and then it goes to the drying process. So it's all about the process. Honestly, on my opinion, also it's my father's opinion, we don't go much for the honeys. Um, honeys is almost the least we do because we are on the thought that the washed and honeys taste too similar. There's not even a category for honeys on the best of Panama. So whatever is washed is also honey in the best of Panama. And uh, the naturals do have a difference. So we do understand that having natural versus washed, there's a lot of difference, even if it is from the same tree. I was just going to ask when you guys started doing different processes and either why you all started doing that or what you've, what you all noticed in doing that in, in, I guess the results from buyers from that or it's place in specialty coffee or any of that. Okay. So the first customers, the first, the first, um, the first time we started doing the naturals, uh, it was exactly on to 10 years ago, 2006, Joseph Brodsky from 90 plus came into Panama, uh, with Graciano Cruz and Joseph was doing it on Ethiopia. So he was, um, he was experimenting with that and he was seeing a lot of good results on the naturals. He started advising the Panamanian growers to do the same. He told them, your coffees are going to taste very good if you start doing the natural process the right way. And few listened at the beginning. One of the ones that listened at the beginning was my father and also Graciano. Graciano was a partner of, of, of Joseph at the time. And that's how we started in 2006. One of the first experimental um, naturals we sent to the United States was a, a few samples to Royal Coffee on California. And Royal had it on, the, on a cupping table. And that was the first time Colby, Colby Barr, the owner of Berth, owner and founder of Berth, decided that he was going to start going directly to origin. So he was on that table where they had the Lida Natural. We were not selling it. We were just experimenting with the samples. He caught it and he loved it. He loved it. So he decided to go to Costa Rica. He went to Costa Rica. And along with Robert Torrenson, uh, the owner of Collaborative Coffee, and 2000 champion, uh, Barista Champion from Norway, he, they traveled on a bus to Boquete. And they came into, um, into the Lida State looking for, for some natural. So we can say that Kobe was one of the first guys that, show some interest on the, on the Lida Natural. And we've been developing that relationship for 10 years already. Do, do you find that uh, you run into various issues with the different uh, processing methods too? Like is uh, natural or honey, does it cause extra complications in the process or is it, is it just about the same as washing process, the wash process? Well, the natural process, um, the natural process is the one that less uses the less machine. So we use less electricity. It just goes, uh, it started as a, as a cheaper method to, to, to process coffee on Africa. So the natural might be the cheaper one on terms of using machinery and, and, and electricity or gas, but it's also very complicated because naturals can be, uh, you can shoot yourself on the foot with the natural coffees because they might not end up being so good because some mistake on the drying process, which is easier to control on washed coffees. On uh, 
natural, it's very common that one cup differs a lot from the other one. We have a lot of luck that our farm is so high that our naturals normally are good. Sometimes they are not, uh, but in the majority of the time they are good. But the naturals can cause um, can cause uh, uh, problems when when it's been dried and it might not give the cup you're expecting. The honey is also a tricky coffee in that sense, and it also can cause the same thing. The wash is the one that is more standard. It will bring the better cup normally uh, from one lot to another one or one crop to the other one, but it's the one that has the more cost because it goes to through machines that the natural doesn't go through either. But also the time of drying and the time of reposo is shorter on the wash than it is from the natural. So if it is because of storage, for example, many farmers go to the bigger mills to produce their coffee and they don't do it in their mills. So they have to pay for the time that they have their coffees on their patios or on their African beds or on their dryers. So in that sense, it might take a longer time because they need more days to dry. Or if they are storing it on a storage, it's three months to 100 days. So it's from 90 to 100 days to keep up the natural uh, on the optimal reposal time. So if it is because of time and space, the naturals will be, might end up being the more expensive. So there's all of them have their pros and cons on terms of process, but uh, it's not something we, well, we have to take into consideration. That's what sometimes people, when they go to a third wave coffee shop or they buy from a roaster and they don't understand why the coffee is so expensive, and it's because the labor that goes through all those processes, it's not cheap. In Panama, on the coffee-producing countries, it's, if I'm not mistaken, it's the second most more expensive or maybe the third more expensive on cost of labor. And that's counting the Puerto Rico and Hawaii, that is the United States wages. So I think Costa Rica is the only one that has more cost of labor than Panama among all the producing countries. So all, all those are stuff that you need to take into consideration when you are, um, when you are doing your, your pro different processes. But we are doing 65%. 65% of our coffees are naturals. Oh, wow. I, didn't, I don't know that I realized that. I did yeah. not realize that. And so rest, how do you choose? How do, that, that was actually what I was going to ask. You know, you, you, you get all of this coffee. It's all picked. It's all you know, there in front of you. Like, how do you decide what you're going to do with each one? Is that sort of a, a business marketing kind of a strategy? Or is it you know, just obvious based on the quality of the coffee coming out? Well, the, the, the demand for uh, naturals is higher, way higher than the rest. So that's why we are um, producing more naturals. Hmm. Uh, we have customers that only buy natural. And it's few customers that will only buy a washed or a honey. So the majority only buys naturals. Um, we have two roasters that started buying from us before the naturals and are still with us. The rest are... They did not continue the relationship. So those are... Uh, Clutch Coffee and PT's Coffee, they are the only ones that have the three of them. They buy the three of the processes from the lead estate. The rest, they lean towards the natural more commonly. I did not, I guess I did not realize that, that, uh, that naturals were, uh, were more in demand. But uh... There's only one customer that buys more washed than uh, natural. And it's Maruyama coffee from Japan. It's the only one that buys more 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 wash than naturals. So if we can if we can back up just a minute, because I know um, we got we got into this discussion. This has been a fantastic discussion, by the way. Um, it, we we got into this kind of talking about like where your family came from, and then we sort of jumped into what you're doing now. Um, how did you get into coffee? I mean, like how? I mean, obviously you've you grew up with, in coffee, but like. How did you kind of make that transition to say, like, this is what I want to do. This is what I want to spend my time with. That's a great question because uh, my father has 
Before I have right now, he, he has uh, four siblings, and they are not all into in the coffee business. Mm-hmm. So I and all my cousins, we are about 19 of us. Nobody else is into coffee but me. So I started when I started working. I worked. I was working on a real estate company, and I was into. I was more into the into the construction, real estate. Panama is booming a lot on construction, so there's there was a lot of money being made in that in that sector, and I was doing pretty good. But I was realizing that my father was his name was famous. People was coming to Panama. They wanted to meet him. Roasters wanted to meet him, and I realized that that was kind of cool to see that and to see how people mistakenly added me in Facebook thinking he was my father. And then they say, I'm sorry. I thought it was your father. Uh, we are so proud of your coffee. We love it. We love it. And that all those stuff, I like, I loved it so much and I love drinking coffee. So I kind of think like, this is my legacy. My grandfather's doing it. I have a, I, I am very close to my grandfather and my father's also doing it. So why not get into this business? I think I think I kind of love all the all the facts that coffee is so good in Panama, people like it so much, people's looking for it. And I asked my father for a job. And he said, You're making way more money in real estate than you will with me. Are you sure you want to start working with me? And I remember saying to him, Yes, I'm sure, I wanna do it. And that was about two Three years, three years ago, hmm. I knew something about coffee because I was always around the farm, always with my grandfather, always visiting the farms, the mills, and meeting the roasters because the roasters came in. We had dinner with them, but I was never working in the business until that point. That was three years ago. Yeah. So since you've actually started and, and since you've kind of gotten more involved over the last few years, what is your sort of day-to-day you know, operations kind of look like, you know, of, of like what you're involved in every day? Well, my day-to-day operations are coffee, yeah. but are not exports. I am on kind of the sites on exports, kind of trying to learn more and more. But what I do day-to-day is I, ha- I run a, a roasting business in Panama, uh, and I, ro- I roast and sell both El Burro and Elida beans in Panama, in my coffee shop in a touristic zone in Panama. Mm-hmm. Uh, I have two coffee shops where I sell the coffee in, and I have also some accounts, uh, wholesale accounts, like a specialty supermarket, not like the regular supermarket. They buy from me some of the Lidas, and a bunch of cafeterias that I sell coffee to them that are not necessarily from Elida or El Burro. I sell them like um, some other coffees that I buy, roast. We, we buy the coffee uh, as a sherry. We process the whole coffee and we roasted it and we'll sell it to them. So that's my business. That's what I do uh, on a day-to-day basis. So I'm trying to promote the business in Panama. And I also sell right now to one customer. I'm hoping soon there will be more uh, green beans, Elida green beans or, or El Burro green beans to micro roasters here in Panama. So that's kind of interesting because I, I feel like it's easy to hear that uh, people who drink coffee, if they drink coffee in the coffee or in the country that's producing it, that they often don't get to try coffees from the farm. And you're saying they're in Panama. That's opposite, right? You actually. No, getting... no, no. You are right. Mm. Three years ago, before I started with this local business, there was no good coffees in Panama. The one that might be a little bit close to good was um, Ricardo Coiner's coffee on Cotowas. He owns 24 coffee shops, but he was not getting the best of his farm in Panama. The best of his farm is exported. So that was kind of good, but it was not even uh, specialty roasted. It was commercial roasted. So three years ago, there was no, uh, to say the word, third waivers in Panama. So I was the first one to start doing that. And then... um, Two other guys did it as well. One of them went out of business. So it can be said that it's only two of us. But I start seeing some people getting interest on it. Also, 
there's uh, several coffee shops, to say the coffee shops, that started contacting uh, me to get the Elidas, so they can sell the Elidas as a Chemex or, or as a French press, and they're trying to learn. So that's a good movement because it starts, uh, people start copying it. And then by that, they started contacting the farmers and say, do you roast coffee in Panama? Oh, you you have a roaster? Can, can we buy from you? And they started doing that. And then they started learning and asking for better uh, roasting profiles and stuff like that. So it's been oh, three wow. years that it's starting. Still very, very small. It's still very small. compared. To, I went in 2007 to Guatemala and I saw that Guatemalans do have a lot of their uh, of their premium coffees, like the auction lots. They sell it in the supermarket in these so special areas, in these nice packagings, very expensive. So the Guatemalans are more into drinking their good coffees mm-hmm. than the Panamanians. But the Panamanians are getting to start to it. It's growing fast. And it's being really good. And I feel that uh, a lot of pride on it. So as we wrap up here, obviously... Uh, you guys have a ton of pride in what your family is doing and accomplishing at the Lamassus Farms. What is it that us as consumers should know about the hard work that's going in to each cup of coffee? Like, what is it that makes a Lamastus family coffee special? Okay, first, the first thing is we have a lot of altitude. The altitude is kind of luck that we inherited land so so high, and that helps on the quality of the bean and the taste of the cup. But that is not all. I have to say that my father does an outstanding job. He does an amazing job. That's why he was nominated on the Sprogy Awards and he made second place. And that's why he was also named the best producer of Panama on the 2015. He is, he put so much passion, effort and time into the beans. He plays so much with the drying process. He does, okay, this coffee, we're going to dry half here, half in the patio, half in the African beds, half, or this, we're going to uh, dry half in the African beds, half in the, in, the, in the static dryers. Then half on the static dryer, half on the, on the rotating dryers. Or he brings the coffee to a lowland where it's very hot and he does some drying there. He experiments so much. Each coffee, he cups it so much. He cups every day at least five times a day. I cup one or one time a day, maybe one time each two days, and not necessarily because of the farm, but because of my coffee business. And he's all the time there, putting all his efforts and time in, in the farm to have everything as the better cup. It's the only thing... It's the only thing he knows how to do. It's the only thing my grandfather knows how to do. And I think it's the only thing I know how to do. So we push, we put a lot of effort and a lot of pride. It's the name of my great-grandmother that it's attached to it. And it's not necessarily the altitude because we have neighbor farms with a lot of money, the owners. And they do not do a, such a great job on the cup at the end of the day, even though they have all the attributes to have a great cup. Because you have to cup your coffees. Cup the coffees all the time. And you'll know if your coffees are going to be good enough to, uh, for, the, for the end customer. Every day we're cupping coffees. And awesome. doing experiment with the drying process and uh, the lots and the varieties. Well, whatever you're doing, it, it definitely shows. Over the last couple of years, I know both we've both have been able to try uh, a numerous amount of, of coffees non-geisha and geisha alike from alita farms and and always you know we always come back and kind of talk about that and maybe one other thing that i'm pulling from this whole conversation it seems to me like obviously you have a lot of pride in what your family is doing at the lamastus farms but it also seems like you have a lot of pride in panama as a whole i mean what does it what does it mean to to see all of your uh panamanian neighbors who are who are entering these competitions, getting very you know high marks and very good scores. Uh, what does that mean as you're sort of looking around at the farmers around you? I was with Carlos Aguilera today. He had a he has two coffees, Carmen State on the 
Good Food Awards finalist. There's also Rachel Peterson. She has one on the finalist. And there's Willem Boot. Willem Boot owns La Mula. He has two. And Finca Sofia, that is partners with Equator Coffee. And they are they also have their Panamanian coffee in the Good Food Award finalist. And we have one with Redwell as the roaster. So there's seven Panamanian coffees. And that's so much pride for Panama. Panama only produces 140,000 bags of coffee a year versus Ethiopia, that is the only the other one that has a lot in the in the among the finalists, and they produce five million bucks a year. So in comparison to numbers of quantity, it, we have so much little coffee compared to them and all the neighbors in Central America and Colombia. So it's a good deal to be there, nominated in so many. So they have uh, the Good Food Awards are going to be announced in a couple of weeks, and I don't. Of course, we want to win, but if we don't win, we do are we are rooting for the Panamanian beans, the other Panamanians to win. We are very tight, everybody here, because this was a, it was a small group when it started. It's still a small group. That's awesome. You know, in this whole discussion, obviously, there's a lot of work. You know, <laughs> it's it's more than just like you know opening up a, a bag of roasted beans. You know, in for, that you buy from a coffee shop, like. There is a lot of work and effort and thought and intentionality behind what happens even in the producing countries that most of us here, you know, in the U.S. or internationally, we probably never even consider. So this whole discussion has been really eye-opening just about, you know, why coffee is so special because there are people who dedicate their entire lives to, to and and generations of lives, in, in fact, you know, to bringing out the absolute best yeah. um, and making a living for their family. So it's, I don't know, it feels more than just like brewing up a cup of coffee sometimes when you really consider how many hands actually touch a specific coffee before it gets to you. There was a time in the 1990s and early 2000s, even when we already started with specialty coffee, that nobody was being able to support their families with coffee. And many had to sell their farms, develop them as neighborhoods or commercial elders, had a cattle ranch instead of coffee. And uh, surviving through this area was really tough. Uh, my family started doing other businesses. And thanks to the Geisha discovery, everything changed. And we could go back to the coffee business and make money out of it and uh, live out of it. So that's one of the, the things. And the group was so small at the time that everybody is a friend and we are like family, the growers in Panama. Well, Wilfred, it's been really awesome to have you on the show, seriously. Uh, before we let you go, though, tell us where we can find you online. The, my business, uh, coffee, that is coffee-related on Facebook, is mostly in Spanish. So I'm going to give you the Instagram. The Instagram is the one that I use the most. And I use a lot of English in it. And I have a lot of... A lot of a lot of the what's going on on the coffee farms and on that sense. So it's the handle is in Spanish. So it's at Bajareque Coffee. So that will be uh, B A J A R E Q U E Coffee. So it's Bajareque Coffee, and that's my handle on Instagram. And you might be able to find. Uh, stuff about the Elida and El Burro farm in there, bunch of stuff. And also you guys, when you uh, post on any any of our coffees, we might appreciate that you you, you may tag that handle, Bajareque Coffee. Uh, we do have a website. It's boquetecoffee.net, boquetecoffee.net. There's a lot of information about the farm and you can check out the history of our family and where to buy it uh, online. And we'll have all the links uh, that Wilford just mentioned in our show notes. That's ibrameoncoffee.com slash 32. You can go there, find out all kinds of links and information about the things that we've talked about in this episode. Um, and as we close, thank you, Wilford, so much, seriously, for being with us. Uh, this is something that Brian and I have been looking forward to for quite a while. Uh, we definitely appreciate you taking the time to come and uh, to talk to us. I, I saw your 
all this time seeing your following your Instagrams and it's been amazing that to have this time to, to have this chat with you. Thank you for having me. Well, that's definitely all the time we've got for this episode. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Hopefully, you have enjoyed this episode as much as we have enjoyed recording it. Uh, we are really appreciative of your support. If you want to go check out our website, that's ibrumayoncoffee.com. If you want to send us an email, click the Contact Us link at the top of the page. We're on Instagram at ibrumayoncoffee. We're on Twitter at brewmyowncoffee. Until next week, everybody, happy brewing. Take care. So long, everybody.